Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Matthew's Gospel, 7, chapter 7. And uh, we have been uh, looking at the, the Sermon on the Mount, which has turned into an 11-part series, and this is part 10. So we are nearly there at the end of the sermon. But what's wonderful is, unlike coming in on, I don't know, episode 9 of an 11-part drama show, uh, although you've missed things, each part is pretty self-contained. And Jesus wants to speak to us today through his word. And so we come to this little portion here, and I'll get through as much of it I can in the next half an hour or so. We're picking up in verse 12 of Matthew 7. Remember, Jesus is uh, preaching to the converted. By that I mean he is speaking to his own people. He's brought his disciples to him. He's trying to convey to them the real meaning of the Ten Commandments. Unlike the corrupted, edited, customized version that they were used to at this time, as taught by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the wouldn't sees and couldn't sees. And in verse 12, Jesus says this, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them, not by their suit, but by their fruit you will recognize them. Now, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? What's the answer? No, they don't. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Isn't that wonderful? A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And then he goes on to talk about the people who've eaten from these bad trees. Not everyone, verse 21, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, 
did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons and perform many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I remember reading that. This text used to scare me quite a lot. And we'll take a moment to maybe unscare it a little bit later on. Okay, let's start in verse 12. Go back to the beginning of what we're reading. Verse 12 is often called uh, the golden rule. And I want to tell you why. The Roman emperor in the third century, I think he was Severus. Yes. The Roman emperor Severus really liked the Bible, you know. They didn't initially, but by the third century, they kind of liked the Bible. These Romans. And he liked verse 12. He liked this, this verse a lot. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. The law, by the way, and the prophets, that means, that means the Old Testament. The law of Moses and the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, you know, et al. So he means this sums up the Old Testament books. What's the Old Testament about? Well, I'll tell you what it's about. Do to others what you'd have them do to you. But the Roman Emperor Severus, he loved this verse so much that he had it painted in gold on his wall. And it became known as the Golden Rule. And it's really interesting because even today in the English uh, language, in the English vocabulary, in the English idiom, we have a phrase that we use today, which we call the golden rule. What's the golden rule? And it comes from what this Roman emperor did to this verse. Not many people know that. And you won't remember tomorrow. But that's what he did. He wrote this verse on his wall. And it seems to me that this is a wonderful verse. Whenever you're in an ethical dilemma, whenever you feel, Lord, what is your will? Lord, if you were here standing next to me, what would you say to me to do? What would your word, your moral instruction be to me? And it seems to me you can't get any better. Nay, you can't get any more expensive either than this verse right here. I want you to do to others what you would have them do to you. What's kind of interesting is that in other religions, both at the time of Jesus and subsequent after the time of Jesus, have had a similar rule. But it's not quite the same. But in many religions, they have this rule. Don't do to other people what you don't want them to do to you. You'll find that in Judaism. It was in the Judaism of, of uh, Jesus' day. You'll find it in you know, different strands of Buddhism. Hinduism, Confucius um, teaching, don't do to other people what you don't want them to do to you. And Jesus takes this saying, which was known at the time, and he kind of makes it bigger, better, more costly, if you like. Not don't do to people what you don't want them to do to you, but a bit more expensive than that. Do to others what you would have them do to you. 
Wouldn't it just be simply astonishing if even just the small number of people in this room and those listening to me online, wouldn't it be just amazing if just the people listening to me today lived like that and genuinely went out and did for others what we would like them to do for us. I'll tell you a little secret, shall I? The things we do for others, often they don't do for us. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, enter into a deal. It's like my brother and I. I've told this story before, but it's fun and it'll bear repetition. My brother and I, we had a deal when we were younger that we would give each other a £10 note uh, for our birthdays. So his birthday came first, so I gave him a £10 note in his birthday card. That was in March, and he would return that £10 note to me, or a similar one, to me in May. And we had this going on for years, just passing a £10 note one to the other, while my mum thought, oh, isn't it wonderful? The boys love each other. She didn't know that we had an arrangement, an unspoken arrangement. And then one year, he gave me the £10 note. And when it came round uh, to, to March for his birthday, I was a bit short that year. And so, to his horror, to his utter horror, he opened his card. And there was a, yes, a £5 note. A £5 note. And I want to tell you today that on my birthday, I got nothing back from him. Our financial arrangement ended, and I believe actually to this day, we're pretty much on the same place. Oh, my mum. Oh, see how the boys, they love each other. Look, they're giving each other money. We were not giving each other money. I felt like putting a little mark on the tender to see if the very same one came back to me a few months later. No, we should do to others what we would like people to do for us. That's what Jesus said. That's how we're going to show the love of God. That's how we're going to show. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 20? He said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and Sadducees, right? You're not going to enter this, this kingdom. You're not going to understand. And that's what he's saying here. You have to exceed the righteousness of others. Not, if you don't trouble me, I won't trouble you. But rather, I'm going to be good to you whether you are good to me or not. That's the Spirit of God. And then he comes on to this, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it. Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. I thought of a few things that maybe this little portion of scripture, I'm sure you've heard it read and you've read it many times before. But I thought of a few things that this kind of teaches today. First of all, that the kingdom of God, to enter into the kingdom of God, the door is always going to be small. It's interesting. Enter through the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate. I remember when I was in Brazil as a missionary, I dragged around this giant case with me all the time. 
Is this a good example of it? Maybe a little smaller than that. But not much. I spent half my life in Belo Horizonte bus station in the middle of Brazil. Sitting there ringing Jane saying, what am I doing here? Do you remember that night? But at one time I remember I really wanted to use the, um, what shall I call them? The restrooms, uh, the bathrooms. I don't know what I want to call them. And in order to go into the bathroom, you had to enter through, let me call it a narrow gate. And it was not possible for me to use the bathrooms at Belo Horizonte bus station because I had this thing with me. And I'm trying to get, I was, uh, you know, rather large myself. Still am, but even larger then. And the idea that I was, it was hard enough for me to get through without me bringing through this case. Now I know what you're thinking. Peter, why didn't you just leave your case outside? Are you kidding me? It had everything in it. All my socks and pants and my trousers, everything was in. There's no way that was going to be stolen. Otherwise, I'd have been in Belle Horizonte bus station for a good deal longer. The, the gate was narrow. The gate to the kingdom of God is also narrow. And this isn't very popular to say today. This isn't very politically correct to say today. But there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. There's no other way to get to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And while we can at times respect some of the wisdom some of the virtue, some of the, the, some of the morality that other philosophies and religions may, may um, espouse. Maybe not all of it, but some of it. Yet, these things ultimately do not save people. Even the Ten Commandments given by God do not save people. The gate is narrow. Jesus and Him alone has the power to save people. Not a church system, not a bishop, not a priest. Jesus alone is the one who's going to save me on the day of judgment. Not my assemblies of God denomination, not my, not my uh, credentials, not the, not the baptism water on my face, or the strange tongue in my mouth, but Jesus' blood and Jesus alone. He's going to be the one who's going to save me. And amidst all the political incorrectness of saying that today, we have got to stay with that message 100%. It's not, a, it's not an offensive message. It's not intended to be uh, uh, hostile. It's not intended to be upsetting to anyone. But there is only one way to get to God. And his name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So the way through is narrow. But also, not only that, but we find that once you're through the gate, you don't necessarily come out into a big wide area then either. Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to life. The gate is narrow and the path is narrow. Small is the gate, and narrow the road. Let's just get really serious for a moment here. Let's just get a bit real here. When you are a Christian, I mean a real one, a real one, not a pseudo one, not a Sunday one, 
but a real one. When you are a Christian, you can't do everything you want to do. The road to destruction is wide. You can dance over here and dance over here. You can behave in such a way on the road to destruction. It's broad, it's wide, and there's lots of your friends on it saying, why don't you come this way? But the way to life, the doorway is small. You can't bring your luggage with you. You can't bring your old life with you. You come, you can just come through to the doorway of Jesus Christ. And then even when you're on the road, it's not a broad road. God's got commandments. And this isn't very popular to preach today either, but it's still in the red letters of God's word. Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations and teach them to what? Obey. Or in, the, in another version, to keep the commandments, to, to obey everything that I have commanded you. And there are, despite the world of grace, despite the fact that God's grace has been lavished on us, there are still commandments. You do not lie. You do not commit adultery, not even with your mind. You do not steal. You do not speak unkindly. You do not do certain things. There is a, a narrow way when it comes to the kingdom of God. A narrow road that doesn't allow great, great, great distance. There's a, a very well-known story of the founder of Alpha who showed up one day at a football match. A group of teenage lads were playing football. And he was just one of the dads. But when he got there, they said, the referee hasn't shown up. The referee isn't here. So they all looked at him. Well, why don't you be the referee? He said, okay. But you know, he didn't know much about football. And so he said, yeah, okay, I'll be the referee. But he didn't know the rules. So they're all running around and, oh, you know, that was offside. Was it? Yes. Someone else says, no. He says, all right, it wasn't. And then, uh, you know, there was a, a foul. Was it a foul? Well, I don't know. Maybe. Yes. No. What do you all think? Let's have a vote on it. And the, the football match was chaos. The first half was just utter chaos. And then thankfully, towards the end of the first half and then into the second half, the referee, the guy who was scheduled to come, he did show up. And the boys had a much better game of football in the second half than in the first. Because in the second half, someone was there to say, actually, this game will work much better if it is narrower, not wider. If there are rules, if there are certain restrictions that allow you to operate in a certain way. And that's what God's word does. It brings us into certain restrictions. I've been told a hundred times, and I've read a hundred times in books, that teenagers like to have rules. That isn't what it looks like on the outside, is it? Can you say amen? 
I've read it many. Teenagers love rules, do they? Who wrote this? Who wrote this mad book here? That can't be true. Lock them away. But every thinking psychologist and analyzer of these things says the same thing. Although they look like they want to have wild freedom. Actually, what they really love is they love boundaries, they love rules, and we're God's kids. The other thing I pick up from this verse, Jesus says there are few that find the road to life. Perhaps we should be mindful of this. Just a little mindful of this, that we may have preachers come in town and go out of town and appear on TV and send out CDs that God's going to bring a great revival and you know, it'll be hard to find a non-Christian. You know, everyone will convert. But, and I, I pray that's true. And maybe there will be incredible seasons of that. But let's not lose sight of this as well. The Bible says this, that there's a certain minority about those who follow Jesus Christ. I know you want everyone in your workplace to be on fire for God and saved. But maybe that won't happen anytime soon. By God's grace, may it. But, the, but Jesus warns right from the beginning, I'm just warning you, he says, I'm warning you, you're going to feel a bit lonely. This road, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to do it properly, it's going to feel a bit lonely. It's going to feel a bit lonely. And one of the reasons why people don't follow Jesus wholeheartedly is they refuse to be lonely. They want to fit in with everyone else. But when the kingdom of God comes into our life, we don't fit in with everyone else. Birds flock together. Eagles fly alone. Don't be worried about being lonely in your faith. Oh, by all means, you get people around you. You get that iron sharpening your iron. You make sure you have those great friendships in your life. Of people who can spur you on towards love and good deeds. But Christianity for most of us is going to feel a bit lonely many times. If you can't hack the loneliness, you need to ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Because that's going to be part of the price that you're going to have to pay. If you're going to follow him who goes through a narrow door and onto a narrow path. Jesus didn't seem afraid to talk about destruction and hell like some speakers are afraid to do today. Now let's come to verse 15. Let's come to verse 15 and look at the wolves. We've looked at the wall. We've looked at the way. Now let's look at the wolves. The, the ferocious wolves, the false prophets, the false teachers that he speaks about here. Verse 15, watch out. Watch out for false prophets, he says. They look the real thing. They come in sheep's clothing. But inwardly they are ferocious wolves. He says they can't, they're so false that they can't produce anything good. And that's what this second set of verses is about. There are the deceivers and then there are the deceived. I hope you can see that in the passage. This passage is one section. It starts with the deceivers, the false prophets, you see, 
who in turn, people eat their fruit and they become the deceived, starting on from verse 21 down to, the, uh, down to verse um, 23. So first of all, the New Testament is not afraid to speak about false teachers and false prophets, things like this. Now, let's just be really clear what we mean. If you have a different theological opinion to me about something, that doesn't make you or me a false teacher. If you think worship should be done in this way, but this one over here thinks worship should be done in that way, that doesn't make one of them a false teacher. That's just teenage theology. And God has not appointed you or even me to be the policeman of the church putting everything in order. If this one believes that it's okay to go over to the cinema, you know, and uh, have a night out at the theater, but this one says, no, I don't want a TV in my house. I, 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 I keep away from such. That doesn't make one a false teacher, the other one a false teacher. Reminds me of the time when a pastor friend of mine was attending a house group and while they were praying in the, in the, in the house group, suddenly there was this noise. Shall I do it again? And it was the noise of the video recorder coming on, recording a TV show while they were all praying. Today they don't make that noise, do they? But, um, and afterwards, the guy said, I know what's going on here. You were recording EastEnders, weren't you? And the guy looked at him. He said, I was not recording EastEnders. That filth and worldly show? I wasn't recording EastEnders. He said, well, you were recording something. He said, yes, I was. Wife swap. True story. True story. We have different ideas. Some of you know that I spend quite a bit of the week now, the, the, the latter end of the week, sort of a day and a bit, at the Bible college where everyone's got different ideas. Different ideas about theology, different ideas about things. But it, but it doesn't make one a false teacher. That's very, very teenage. Very teenage theology thinking. Because false teachers have got false hearts. Just because someone gives a word, a prophetic word, it may not come to pass. That doesn't make them a false prophet. It makes them a prophetic minister that needs to be, that their prophetic word needs to be judged, just like the Bible says it needs to be. So whenever we give prophetic utterance, whenever we speak prophetic, uh, prophetically. We're not claiming to be infallible. We invite the person to evaluate what they're hearing and not think that we're thinking we're Isaiah or the next Jeremiah. Of course not. But the Bible says this, that in this New Testament era, the era in which we live, there will be those who will teach things contrary to the Bible. And we're talking about contrary to the main themes of the Bible. 
Not one small thing here. This is how we do baptism. This is how you do breaking of bread. This is what we think about prophecy. This is what you think about it. This is, what, this is how we do worship. This is how you do it. We're not talking about things like that. In the New Testament, when the false teachers arose, they taught something very different about Jesus. They taught something very different about the way that people would be saved. That it was through works. They taught that Jesus wasn't a real person. And then later on, they taught that he was only a person. These are the things we should contest for. These are the things that make people teaching something false. Not whether or not it's okay to wear jewelry or not in church. You know, things like that. Each man and woman leads, allows their mind to lead them by their own conscience in such things. And the Bible suggests that. The other thing we find here is that miracles don't validate anyone. Did you see that in the story that there were, there was fruit that was being produced? And then in the latter part, people were driving out demons and performing miracles. And Jesus says, I didn't have anything to do with this. I didn't have anything to do with this. And let's just be warned. I, I received a glowing uh, message from one of my students just uh, over this weekend. It was on Saturday where a wonderful miracle happened in Scunthorpe, in the, in the Baptist church in Scunthorpe. Another lady set free from uh, the, the, uh, the being bound by a, by a wheelchair, stood up and walked. That was on sa- Saturday, yesterday, yesterday. And Scunthorpe Baptist Church. Hip, hip, hooray for the Baptists. And so God is working. But just because someone works miracles, it doesn't mean that everything they've just said was exactly right. Miracles do not validate a, a particular point of view, a particular theology, a particular person. That's what the Roman Catholics think. That miracles are signs of saints. No, miracles are signs of God at work. Not saints at work, but God. The Bible says in the last days, the man of sin will come. The man of lawlessness. And a false prophet with him will work miraculous wonders to deceive people. But these won't be people who look like Christians. Jesus said, no one can do a miracle in my name and then afterwards say something evil of me. No, we're talking about miracles that lead people away from Jesus, not lead people to Jesus, such as we endeavor to have happen in the Pentecostal charismatic world today. Just because someone does miracles doesn't mean that everything they've just taught is, is, is 100% right. Because God is gracious. I've seen miracles in my own ministry, but it doesn't mean that everything I've ever said is right. You ask Jane, she'll tell you it's not. It's not. Only God knows. So here, at the end of this passage, he begins to say, be careful not to be deceived. There's the deceivers, and then there's the deceived. How should we be able to tell the difference. Well, of course we can tell the difference. We're looking for character, not charisma. 
Charisma can be faked. Charisma can be assumed. Actors who can come on and look the part. But we look for character. By their fruits, not their suits, you will know them. And then finally here, how can we know that we are not in this particular camp? How can we know? Because when I look at this, I've prophesied and I've driven out demons and I've seen miracles in verse 22. So how can I know that I'm not one of these people here? You ever wondered that? Or is it just me? I have my own therapy session now then. Lord, maybe this is me. Am I, am I really saved? How can I know I'm not one of these people? And I think one of the great ways to explain this, just uh, take your Bible and just let's go over to Luke 13, where the story is told again. But there's a little bit more detail in the story. Luke 13, verse 24. And I'm coming to a close with this. In Luke 13, and picking up from verse 24, we're beginning to get to, uh, it's sort of like a, we call it a parallel passage, which means it is a, um, it means it's the story again, but in, in another version. And Luke 13 and verse 24, Jesus speaking, and you'll see it's similar to what we've been reading on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. You're with me? You're with me? Say I. Okay. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you'll stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you. Or where you come from. You see, this is a parallel to what we were just reading. I don't know you. And then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you. Or where you come from. Away from me all, you evildoers. And there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. Who are these people then, closed out from the door of heaven in this rather frightening bit of the Bible? Who are these people? I suggest to you today that these are people who never knew him. They had heard him, but they failed to follow him. They'd heard of him because they say, look, you, you ate with us and drank. You taught in our street. These are people who were around Jesus. They said, look, you know, we did see you. You were there. You were in our street. But they never followed him. And so we need to do that. We must follow him. Not just have him around us. But we must follow him. I want to ask you this afternoon, are you following him? Are you taking this seriously? It's not intended to be a Sunday hobby. 
It's intended to be a change of our whole life. And on that day, we can say, Lord, I went through that narrow door. And life was a bit narrow at times. There were people I wanted to have a word with, but I didn't. (laughs) There were jobs I wanted to go for, but I, I didn't. There was adultery I wanted to indulge in, but I didn't. There were times I wanted to lie to get myself out of a bad situation, but I didn't. Because the road was narrow. But it leads to life. Let's be sure we're on that road. You want to be a Christian? It's going to get lonely at times. I wish I could say something different, but... It's true. It's going to get lonely at times. But in those moments of loneliness, where it feels like we're the only one wanting to pursue this, in those moments, we can feel truly His. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.